So what have you got in your toolbox? I guess it depends on what kind of toolbox we're talking about, right? You might have a toolbox that is fit for fixing cars, and you might have an oil filter wrench that will connect to your ratchet set, and it might be there in your toolbox. Or maybe you've got a toolbox for fixing and building cabinets, and maybe somewhere in one of the drawers of your toolbox there is a concealed hinge jig that you can use. Maybe your toolbox is for fixing up your face, you know, and uh, maybe, maybe you wouldn't go anywhere without making sure that your perfectionist, I got to say this right, your perfectionist airbrush sponge is in your makeup bag. That's a real thing. Perfectionist airbrush sponge. Got to have that. Maybe you're like me, though, and, and your toolbox is basketball skills. Oh, yeah, man, you got some fadeaway jumpers, some, you know, off-the-dribble jumpers, some five-slam-a-jamas. You, you got some of that in your toolbox. You know, you, you have some of those things you can pull out. Maybe your toolbox is more digital, kind of like the Paragon Mac toolbox that contains the most essential technologies for overcoming cross-platform limitations and incompatibilities when switching between Mac and Windows systems. <laughs> There's a reason I just read that, right? Toolboxes. Christine Walsh is a test pilot for Boeing. Her job is to make sure that planes are safe. So naturally, in her toolbox, she has a strategic aeronautic tool, a flute. Yeah, that's right, a, a flute. According to Braden Swanson, a student at Raysback Aviation School in Tukwila, Washington, Christine started playing the flute when she was in high school, and she keeps it close now because it gives her a little bit of stress relief from the pressures of her test pilot engineering job. She also is on the Boeing company band, which I didn't know Boeing had a company band, but there you go. Braden writes that Christine's flute actually makes her a better test pilot. How and why? This is what Christine said to Braden. The aircraft engine, like any engine, is a huge component on the aircraft that makes all kinds of harmonic sounds. Those sounds can be transmitted through the aircraft because it's just a giant musical instrument. She goes on. We're listening for those sounds when we're flying, and they give us a whole other understanding of how the airplane is operating. If I'm speaking with a noise engineer, I can say I hear a harmonic and it's at a particular frequency. I can say how many hertz I think it sounds like because I'm used to listening for exact pitch tones when we tune instruments. (laughs) That's just kind of cool. And in some ways, that's just proof that Christine is an expert in high pitches. Yeah, I I got those all day, all right, All, all day, all day. Playing her flute brings her a measure of comfort. It brings some calm, some peace to her mind. And the calm that's brought to her mind actually helps her to do her job better. And when she does her job better, it makes people safe. So that flute just became a very important tool in Christine's box, is it not? There's a tool that you need in your box. You might already have it, and you might use it all the time. Or you may not have it at all, but you need to get it. 
Or you may have this tool in your box, but you never use it. If so, you need to. You need to because this tool is the kind of tool that can bring peace and calm and safety into the lives of the people you know and even into the lives of people you don't know. In fact, this tool actually can measure, in a sense, whether your soul is truly safe and at peace. So what kind of tool is that? Well, let's see if we can find out. Paul's letter to Philemon, beginning with verse 4. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. Imagine you're in a difficult situation. You may not have to imagine too hard, right? You might be in a season of life where everything feels like a difficult situation right now. But imagine you're in a difficult situation and and maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're down, maybe you're frustrated or confused, maybe you're even a little bit depressed. You're just looking for something. I mean, just just the hint of encouragement would be nice. Just, Just a little something to lift your spirits. And then all of a sudden you hear the sound of some music. Now, you may not be musical, so you don't know much about the sound. You don't know what instrument it's coming from, but, but you just know there's something that immediately refreshes you about this music. It's, it's like you're walking to work or you're walking to school, and, and it's like you catch the aroma of fresh bread coming around the corner from that bakery. It just, it just grabs you. And let's keep this maybe a, a little more realistic in our imagining Let's say that the music is coming from our own Meredith Duncan, and she's playing the flute. And it's a Wednesday night, and the ensemble's here practicing, and, and this is a, a solo part on the flute, and the, the music is playing, and boy, you can hear it, and, and it just immediately brings some cool vibes and, and some calm into your mind and heart. Now, here's the catch. You're not here. In fact, you're 1,300 miles away in Odessa, Texas, and you're over on Andrews Highway at the Whataburger, and you're having a sweet and spicy bacon burger right now, and all of a sudden, 1,300 miles away, you can hear this music. It feels like you're sitting in this room, and that music, it it grabs your emotions, and it grabs your attitude. You feel like you're right here. That's kind of what Paul was experiencing. He was in some kind of prison in Rome. But he gets this news from from 1,300 miles away about his friend Philemon. And when he hears this news, it's like music to his ears. In the middle of his extremely difficult situation, in the middle of maybe his confusion and his frustration, his discouragement, he hears this music, this news about his friend. And how does he respond to that news? He's thankful. He's just just thankful. Listen, we are not a very thankful people. We're not a very thankful nation. No, we're becoming an angry nation. We're becoming an angry people. We're we're angry and we're, we're always wanting to protest something. We want to go out in the streets in anger and protest. We want to go on social media in anger and protest. We want to go to customer service in in anger and protest. We want to sit in our recliner 
and surf the channels and we want to protest angrily at the news channel for the people who are angrily protesting. Yeah. Paul was not in prison because he murdered someone. Paul was not in prison because he stole from people's pensions. Paul was not in prison because he sent bombs to people's houses that he disagreed with. That's not why Paul was in prison. Paul was in prison because he was telling people about the love and the mercy and the grace and the power and the authority of Jesus. That's why he's in prison. See, if we're honest, man, we will snap at that girl behind the counter if our coffee is not exactly 120 to 140 degrees Fahrenheit. We will slam on the horn at our teenager if they're 120 seconds late coming out to the car in the morning. We will scream at our parents if they won't spend 120 extra dollars to overnight those shoes so that we can wear it to the Halloween mud bog in honor of the perfectionist sponge for our Makeup Bag Awareness Foundation, right? We become an angry people. We become a people that demand right then what we want in that moment. Paul was not in jail for being angry. He, he wasn't in jail for protesting and, and going after people. Paul was in jail for doing something that statistically speaking most Christians never do. He was in jail for telling people about Jesus. Paul had what we would call some legitimate reasons to have a beef, right? He would have some legitimate reasons to protest. He had some legitimate reasons for, at very least, complaining to the officer behind the counter. But he didn't. What do we find him doing? We find him being thankful. He's being thankful. Let me ask you a question. How thankful are you, just casually speaking, on a regular basis? If you're a Christian, just a reminder, Christians should be thankful a lot. Christians should be thankful a lot. Christians should be thankful a lot. Why? Paul was writing to church folks that lived in a place called Thessalonica. And he was writing to them about how they should act. Listen to this. He was writing to them about how they should act as things got more sinful and more evil in the world. And this is what he wrote to them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Christians should be thankful a lot because we are no longer destined for wrath. Christians should be thankful a lot because the wrath of God will not fall upon us. Now, the wrath of God is not really popular out there with Scripture memes, you know, on social media, you know. You don't see a lot about the wrath of God, but non-Christians and Christians alike, it would be foolish to ignore or avoid 
the wrath of God because it's real. More than 140 years ago, Octavius Winslow wrote the following words, and they are extremely relevant for October 28th, 2018. This is what he wrote. Is your soul saved? Are you converted by the Spirit of God? Everything else in comparison but as the bubble that floats down the stream. That's an image. He goes on. This busy life will soon cease. Its last thought and care and anxiety will yield to the great, the solemn realities of eternity. Are you ready for the result? Are you in a state of pardon, of justification, of peace with God through Jesus Christ? He goes on. How is it with your soul? Will it be well with you in death, well with you after death, well with you at the judgment seat of Christ? Have you come to the Lord Jesus as a Savior, to His blood for cleansing, to His righteousness for acceptance, to His cross for shelter, to Himself for rest? Have you fled as a sinner to Jesus as the Savior? And then he says this, look these questions I beseech you, fairly, fully in the face, and answer them in your own conscience. And as in view of that dread tribunal at whose bar you will soon be cited. And then he closes with three questions. What if you should prosper in temporal and be lean in spiritual? What if you should pamper the body and starve the soul? What if you should gain the world, its riches, its honors, its pleasures, and be yourself through eternity a castaway? If you have truly repented of your sin, if you've truly surrendered to Jesus, you are not a castaway. It's impossible. You're no longer a castaway. You are no longer destined for wrath. You are destined for perfect, pure, eternal, satisfying salvation. And if that is true about your life, Christian, we should be thankful a lot. A lot. few sentences later, this is what Paul wrote to the folks there at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There you go. The, the question of all questions for a believer. What is God's will for my life? Be thankful. <laughs> That's it. I mean, there's more. But a pretty good start. Be thankful. That's God's will for your life. Be thankful in Jesus. Why should you be thankful in Jesus? Because if you're a believer, you are no longer destined for wrath. It's it's a very big statement that Paul makes. That truth blankets every single moment in life. Don't, Don't miss that. If you are in Christ, that truth blankets every single moment in your life, everyone. Paul knew that. That's why when he was a prisoner, he could be thankful. And he could be thankful for the news that he heard about his friend Philemon from 1,300 miles away. And what was that news? Listen to verse 5. 
because I hear of your love and of the faith with which you have toward the Lord Jesus. Paul heard the news of Philemon's love. What kind of love? It was love for Jesus. And why did he have love for Jesus? It's because he had faith in Jesus. And how did he get this faith in Jesus? Why did he have this faith in Jesus? Was it just some kind of religious crutch for him? Was it his spiritual coping mechanism? Did he need some kind of noble, lucky charm for the difficult moments in life? Was he trying to find some scrapbook where he can put all of his good deeds? No. Philemon had faith in Jesus Christ because he had heard the gospel. Like hundreds of other people in his community, he had heard the gospel. What's the gospel? Paul made it super simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world. He died for my sin. He died for your sin. And his burial is a practical, visual, spiritual confirmation that he really died. And his resurrection is a practical, visual, spiritual confirmation that he really is no longer dead. And his resurrection is a practical, visual, spiritually legal confirmation that his death satisfied the penalty of sin. And for people like me and people like you, it means that if his death satisfied the penalty of sin, it means we can be free from the tomb of our sin. We can run out of the darkness of God's wrath and we can step into and enjoy and never be disconnected from the light of peace and joy and hope. That's just a snapshot of the gospel. And Philemon, he heard that gospel. And he believed in and and followed Jesus. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to put your faith in Jesus Christ? I know I reference this maybe maybe every Sunday almost, but it kind of never loses its punch for me. John chapter 3, verse 16 from the Amplified Classic Version. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten, unique son. Why? Why did he do that? Rest of the verse. So that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on Jesus shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. To have faith in Jesus Christ does not mean that we just come here and enjoy Jesus on Sunday for a little while. To have faith in Jesus Christ means that over and over and over again all week long, on Monday and Thursday and Saturday and all the other moments of life, we are fighting to believe in and rely on and trust in and cling to Jesus as our ultimate source of hope and peace and satisfaction. And as we do that, as we keep trusting Him over and over and over again, There's something that happens. That clinging, that relying, that trusting, it does something to us. Here's what it does. It makes us more thankful. It makes us more loving. It makes us more 
faithful. The more we believe, the more we cling, the more our love grows and our thankfulness grows and our faithfulness grows. Now, we're not talking about perfection here, okay? I mean, most days we probably might feel like for every one step we take toward being more loving and more thankful or more faithful, man, we take 47 steps back, right? And that's true. But here's the thing. You still cling to the one step. You still hang on to that one step because that one step keeps reminding you, wait a minute, I'm not destined for wrath, so that changes everything in my life today. My emotions and my attitude all changes because of that truth because now I'm destined for full and final and perfect and satisfying salvation. Paul heard that his friend Philemon was clinging to that one step. He knew it. He heard it. He knew he was clinging to that one step and he was loving and following Jesus. But he wasn't just loving Jesus. Look what Paul says next about Philemon. You're also loving all the saints. Philemon wasn't a a Jesus freak and a people jerk. There was balance here. He was loving Jesus first and most, but he was loving other people, especially he was loving other Christians. How about a little spiritual checkup? We've done a few of these already, but generally speaking, would the people who are normally around your life, would they look at you and say, you know what, they are this week, more than last week, a little more thankful. They are a little more loving toward other people. They're a little more faithful to other people. Or would the people who are around you the most possibly say, you know what, they're a little more negative about other people. Now, they're a little more angry with other people. Now, they're a little more frustrated with other people. Which would it be in our lives? If you're growing in your love for Jesus, you're going to be growing in your love for other Christians. And you're really going to be growing in your love for other people. If you are growing in your love for Jesus, you'll be growing in your love for others. And unless, especially other Christians, do something that directly dishonor Jesus, directly disobey Jesus, then if you're growing in Jesus, you know what's going to happen? You're going to love and get along with and appreciate and trust the people you go to church with. You are. Because that's part of growing in Jesus. And if you're not, then good chance you're not growing in Jesus. (laughs) Again, if, if there's sin, if there's dishonoring, if there's disobedience, that's one thing. But generally speaking, if you're growing in Jesus, you're not going to not love and appreciate and trust the people you do life with at church with. Because you're doing life together in Jesus. You're growing together in Jesus. Now, again, we're not talking about perfection, right? I mean, for every one step forward, man, it'll, it'll feel like 47 steps back. But here's the question. Are you taking the one step forward? Are you taking the one step toward loving Jesus? See, Paul hears about Philemon's love and faith in Jesus, and he hears about his love for other saints, for other believers that really went beyond even other believers. He hears about all that love, and he's like, yes, man, I'm so glad to hear these things. Now I know how I need to pray for Philemon. And how do he pray for him? Listen to verse 6. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ 
sake. That's a, that's a pretty cool prayer, praying for somebody. Paul's saying, Philemon, I'm, I'm praying for you that your love for Jesus will grow and grow and grow. And that as you love Jesus, your love for the other Christians in your church and the other Christians in your community and other people in general, that as your love for Jesus grows, your love for those people are going to grow. And as your love for those people grows and as your love for Jesus grows, then you are going to keep being amazed and stunned and overwhelmed and humbled when you keep thinking, oh, wait a minute, I'm no longer destined for wrath. God has dearly prized me and dearly loved me so much so that he gave his son, he spared not his son for me, and he has set me free. Paul says, Philemon, man, I'm praying that that will just grow and grow and grow. That's a pretty good way to pray for somebody. And what motivated Paul to pray that? Listen to verse 7. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So good. Paul's motivation is he keeps hearing stories that Philemon was an encourager to other Christians, that that Philemon was somebody who refreshed other believers. Multiple times a week, I end up in conversations with people who feel like their life is just falling apart. That's just the reality of life. It's, it's absolutely everywhere. There's, there's no community, no church, no home that is untouched with that. So just a few questions along those lines because that's the reality. If someone who feels like their life is falling apart crosses paths with you, what are they going to experience? Will they experience any joy, any love, any comfort? Or will they feel like in the conversation that you can't wait for them to finish so that you can tell them your problems? Do people feel like that you're a person that they can go to for spiritual refreshment and encouragement? Or do they feel like you're the kind of person like, oh, you need to go talk to the pastor. Or, let me let you go talk to a counselor. Listen, Pastors and counselors are decent folks, all right? I'll I'll give you that. But at the end of the day, as believers, we're all supposed to be the kind of people that are refreshing and encouraging, especially other believers. Why? Because we are no longer destined for wrath. It's it's amazing math. It, It feeds everything that we do. So we're supposed to be encouragers. We're supposed to be refreshers. We're supposed to be training our minds and our hearts in love and faith toward Jesus. We're supposed to be training our minds and our hearts in, in love toward other believers and other people. And if we are doing that, if we're increasing our love for Jesus, if we're increasing our faith in Jesus, if we're increasing our love for others, then here's what's going to happen. We are also going to be training ourselves to forgive other people. That's what will happen. Philemon had been training his mind in the direction of love and faith. And so automatically he had been training his mind in the direction of forgiving others. And that's a good thing because this whole letter is Paul asking him to forgive someone. We're going to get to that over the next couple of Sundays. But but basically Paul's going to ask him to forgive someone, don't miss this, that his parents and his friends 
and his neighbors and probably his fellow church members might tell him, oh, don't forgive that guy. (laughs) Now, you need to fight for your right. You need to get what you deserve. And Paul's going to send him a message that says, no, you need to forgive him. And why would Paul send that message? He's telling us right here. He says, I'm going to send this message to Philemon because I'm 1,300 miles away. Man, I could smell the breath. I'm 1,300 miles away, and I can hear the music. I hear the sound of Philemon's life. He's growing in his love for Jesus. He's growing in his faith for Jesus. He is refreshing other believers. So this will not be out of left field for me to ask him to forgive someone. I think I've shared with you before, Johnny Hunt that said, man, we're supposed to be the aroma of Christ. So do you smell like Jesus? Good question. Are we refreshing other folks? Not perfect, never happened, but but are we in the one step? And are we so loving toward Jesus and so building up of our faith in Jesus that we're actually ready to forgive? John MacArthur writes this, if you love the Lord, if you love people, if you love the fellowship, you'll be a forgiver. (laughs) Y'all are thinking, well, man, you didn't have to preach all this. You could have just read that sentence and we could go home. It's true. If you love the Lord, if you love people, if you love the fellowship, you'll be a forgiver. Likewise, if you don't love the Lord, you won't love people. And you won't love the fellowship. You'll tear the church down. Sometimes boldly, sometimes behind the scenes. But you won't love the fellowship, and you won't love the people, and you won't forgive people if you're not loving the Lord. The only reason Paul could send this letter to Philemon, he knew he could. He knew he could send this letter because he already heard of the activity of his life. MacArthur goes on. Paul's saying, Philemon, if you forgive this guy, you're going to immediately experience the good thing in you called forgiveness. Love that. He says, you know what's going to happen? Like, you're going to forgive somebody, and then you're going to remember, oh, I've been forgiven. Your forgiveness is going to become more real to you. You're going to be excited when people get saved at the church. You're going to be excited when people get baptized at the church. You're going to be excited when people join the church. You're not going to be gruff about it. You're not going to question it. You're not going to say it's terrible. You're going to be excited. Why? Because you're growing in your love for Jesus, and you're remembering, oh, I got baptized one day. Oh, I got saved one day. And it's going to feel like you're right there hearing the music for the first time all over again. MacArthur goes on. It's like Paul saying to Philemon, you could read about forgiveness in a book, but you wouldn't really know it because you haven't experienced it. You could hear somebody preach about forgiveness and how wonderful it is and how blessed it is, but you really wouldn't know it until you did it. Philemon, God has given you the capacity to forgive, so forgive somebody and experience it. So do you have love in your toolbox? I'm talking about the kind of love that's, that's created and built and built up by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have that kind of love in your toolbox? 
If so, then use it. If you have stepped out of the tomb of your sin, if you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, if you have run out of the darkness of wrath and run into the light and the peace and the joy of salvation, then use it. Use it. If you're a believer, God has given you the capacity to forgive. So forgive and experience it. Trust and experience it. Love and experience it. Be faithful and experience it. Experience it. That forgiveness has also found 